This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Buckle up. Don't touch that dial. We are set for a top 10 battle later tonight in Camp Randall. Number two, Ohio State. Number eight, Wisconsin. Doesn't get better than this. Rockin' Rich Sermonello. The stage is set for a great matchup later tonight. We're waiting for Rich Sermonello to join us, but what a battle we have on tap later tonight. Number two, Ohio State. Number eight, Wisconsin. Marquee battle. Can Wisconsin's defense contain quarterback JT Barrett? That'll be the matchup that Rich and I will be breaking down a little bit later tonight. We have a great show planned for you today. 10.31 Eastern Time. We'll be joined by former Texas wide receiver B.J. Johnson. We'll get B.J.'s take on the Longhorns situation and head coach Charlie Strong. Longhorns have lost three straight games now. Can they rebound and get off the mat against Iowa State? 12 o'clock start. We'll get BJ's takes about the program at 10.31 Eastern Time, 11 o'clock Eastern Time. We're going to be joined by former Ohio State running back Vince Workman. What do the Buckeyes have to do to get this victory in Madison later tonight? We'll get Vince's take on the current situation for JT Barrett and the offense. We're just getting started. It is week number seven. The stage is set for a great set of action. Rich, I mean, Big Ten football, number two, Ohio State, number eight, Wisconsin. Unbelievable outcome and unbelievable atmosphere in Camp Randall later tonight. Yeah, I'd expect nothing different, Joe. I mean, this is what you get in Madison. It's a night game. It's against uh, Ohio State. The weather might be wet, which would actually benefit the Badgers uh, with their slowdown approach. So I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Bit of a study in contradictions, you have the speed of Ohio State versus the slug it out physical Wisconsin team. So I, I think that's going to be arguably the most entertaining game of Week Seven. Yeah, we have great matchups from top to bottom today, from twelve o'clock through midnight. I mean, unbelievable games in the Big Twelve: West Virginia and Texas Tech, Oklahoma and Kansas State, just to name a few. We have some solid SEC games as well. Alabama travels to Neyland Stadium three thirty. Can the Vols rebound after that disappointing? loss in overtime last week to Texas A&M. We'll talk about that. Like I mentioned, we do have B.J. Johnson coming on. We also have Vince Workman as well. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at go for the 2 That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E- L-L-O, to run down some games last night. Unbelievable outcomes. Louisville survived 24-14 to over the Blue Devils and David Cutcliffe. I- intriguing matchup. We thought it could be close, but some 
controversy that I'm going to get into with Rich, but Louisville and Lamar Jackson survives. He did have a couple of touchdowns in the game. He's the first ACC player now to have 15 rushing touchdowns and 15 passing touchdowns as well. So the dynamic effort, he increased his Heisman Trophy uh, odds to win it with a solid performance against the Blue Devils. And then this BYU Cougar team, a gutty over double overtime win over Mississippi State 28-21. to Jamal Williams rushed for 76 yards on the night, but he became the Cougars' all-time leading rusher. Unbelievable uh, performance by Jamal Williams and a gutty effort by BYU. Fresno State lost to San Diego State last night. Donnell Pumphrey pounded the uh, Bulldogs in that battle 17-3, a gutty win by San Diego State on the road. And then Memphis with a quality win against Tulane, 24-14. A lot of people thought that this game would be close because of Tulane's ability to run the football. It was, but Memphis and Riley Ferguson move on with a gutty 24-14 victory over the Green Wave in that battle. Rich, I want to talk about last night and Lamar Jackson. I mean, a solid performance, a very close game that was marred with a little bit of controversy. I want to get your take on a couple of things that I thought about coming in. Number one, 24 to 14, they were a huge favorite in this ball game. A lot of people have Louisville as one of those dark horses uh, sitting at number seven. Should one of the top four teams get knocked off in the coming weeks, they are the possible candidate to replace one of those teams because of their uh, performance in Death Valley. Do we drop Louisville after this performance, number one. And I want to get your take about what is Duke thinking in terms of actually rushing the field goal kicker in that situation? Because if you didn't watch the game, the score was... it was 17 to 14, 17, 14 with a fourth down and 22 from the Duke 29 yard line. And they sent the field goal kicker on. He missed the field goal, which would have allowed Duke the opportunity to have the football with a possibility to win or tie the game. But Duke committed a personal foul against the kicker. I thought it was a little shaky because his leg wasn't up. You could have went both ways with that. But what is Duke thinking about even rushing the kicker at that point? Because at the very worst situation, you're going to be down six points. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a one-score game, and, and it's a shame. I mean, that was a veteran player in Breon Borders. Not, not the kind of play you would expect from him. Disappointing, because if Duke gets the ball back at that point, uh, Daniel Jones and the Blue Devils have a chance to go the length of the field and win that game, which would be a Herculean upset. That was a 5 touchdown underdog so it was surprising that he went it, it wasn't as if that game put uh, that field goal would have put it out of reach that, that wasn't going to make it a nine point uh, margin it would have been 20 to 14 so it was a bit surprising the bigger thing for me is Louisville I, I, I think a performance like that last night Joe not going to say it eliminates them from contention but this is a team that needs style points because if you look at the schedule let's say they run the table let's say they're 11 and 1 obviously don't win the AC Atlantic. Where is the marquee victory with the exception of Florida State? Obviously, that was epic 63 to 20. But man, they're going to have a slew of patsies as far as their victims. I, I, I think they need style points. I think they need to hammer 
the Dukes of the world. This is a Duke team that lost to Northwestern, lost to Virginia a couple of weeks ago. So I'm disappointed, would not be surprised to see them drop a little bit from number seven, maybe to number eight or number nine in the polls next week. And, and what hurt, Louis, uh, what hurt uh, Louisville overall was the Houston loss to Navy because they, yeah. they faced them yep. later in the year. So if Houston was able to pick up that victory last week over the midshipmen, Louisville could have said, well, we knocked off Oklahoma, we knocked off, uh, uh, excuse me, we knocked off Florida State, we knocked off Houston later in the year, and now we have an opportunity, you know, to build a resume within the ACC, and we, lo- and we lost to Clemson by, you know, basically uh, three points. I mean, so that was their resume builder. Now they don't have that. Yeah. But we know this in college football, and that's the thing, Rich. I mean, you can't get, expect these kids to be up each and every week. I mean, yeah. that's the problem. But from the voting perspective and the playoff perspective, they don't care anymore. It's all about style points. And when you look at a body of work from top to bottom, when we break down Ohio State and we break down Michigan and we're going to say, well, Ohio State went on the road and they dominated Oklahoma and Norman at the early part of the year. If both of these teams have a reason to get into the playoff, we're going to look at quality wins and how did they dominate at home and how did they dominate the subpar competition as well. So it's intriguing how we look at these teams overall. When I look at Louisville, here's the question I have overall. They go as Lamar Jackson goes. They're a one-hit pony with him. I I know they have playmakers around him. They have Brandon Radcliffe. They have Staples, and they have Smith at the wide receiver position. But if Lamar Jackson is off, that offense is considerably less explosive with him at the helm, especially if you keep him in the pocket. Well, and I think in in the world of what have you done for me lately, Joe, think about what November will look like for Louisville as teams are jockeying for possible playoff berths. You know, you're going to have Michigan playing Ohio State at the end of the season. You know, Louisville is going to be playing Virginia, Boston College, Wake Forest, Kentucky. Yes, Houston is a quality top 25 team, but you bring up an excellent point. That win, if they get it, now looks a little bit more hollow. So I think Louisville has their work cut out for them as far as getting into that mix. When you look at the Big Ten with Ohio State uh, and with Michigan, SEC with Alabama and possibly Texas A&M, I think there are better candidates to fill that slot if you're looking for a second team from a conference, a non-champion from a conference. Yeah, intriguing. We're just getting started. We have some great games in the SEC as well. Mississippi and Arkansas, Vandy, Georgia. Uh, We're just getting started. Stanford plays Notre Dame as well. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from New York City, coming right back with breakdowns of week number seven. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, we're going to break down the 12 o'clock games. Interesting battle in Death Valley, Clemson and NC State, Rich. Clemson's won since 2011, four of the five games they've dominated the series by 20 points per game. But in my opinion, I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. I think Clemson wins this battle, but I love the what NC State's defense did last week. Entering this matchup, they're only allowing 91 rushing yards per game. I know you're not high on this Wolfpack team, especially (laughs) on the road now in Death Valley, but give me your thoughts about how you see this playing out. 
Yeah, believe it or not, I mean, you know how I feel about NC State and Dave Doran, but I I think this is one of those cases where we may be in agreement. If you want to talk about a more competitive game than the line indicates, Joe, I agree with you. I have been impressed by the defense. What I really like about this team, everything beginning in the trenches, it's the defensive line, Bradley Chubb up front, uh, Contavious Street, Darian Roseborough, the final two of which were former four-star players that were pulled out of the state, pulled out of the region. So Dave Doran has done a nice job of building the front seven on defense. I think they'll be successful. I do worry where the offense comes into play. I mean, Ryan Finley, Boise State transfer, has done a good job so far for the pack. But how does he fare against that secondary of Clemson, which is playing about as well as anyone in the country? If they cut off passing lanes... Then it really is coming down to Matt Days, a back like you I really like. I think he's a terrific next-level back. But if you're one-dimensional against that Clemson defense, I think that's where the struggles come into play. So NC State will have a hard time scoring. I'm curious to see if Deshaun Watson can continue to be hot because he's played very well over the past couple of weeks. He has. Here's the thing about Clemson's defense overall. They have nine interceptions through four games. They're only giving up 149 passing yards per game, Rich, and 26% on third downs. So they're giving Mm -hmm. the ball back to Deshaun Watson. Here's the thing that when I look at Deshaun Watson overall, still no rushing touchdowns, 244 rushing yards on the ground. Last year, he had 12 rushing touchdowns, Mm -hmm. 1,104 rushing yards. That's the one dimension about this offense that I still haven't seen yet, even though they put up back-to-back games of over 500 yards of total offense and over 200 yards in back-to-back games rushing the football. Really hasn't been Deshaun Watson. It's been Wayne Gallman. So that's the one characteristic. I will say this about NC State. Five games, only five sacks allowed, and Ryan Finley has not turned the ball over. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions. They're averaging 197 rushing yards per game, passing for 245 passing yards per game, and they're averaging 34 points per game. We'll see how it plays out. We'll come right back. Take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, live from New York, with two great games taking place at 12 o'clock in the Big 12, Oklahoma and Kansas State and Texas Tech and West Virginia. Rich, will start with Oklahoma in Norman, 45-40 to victory in the Red River rivalry last week over Charlie Strong in Texas. Since 2011, Oklahoma's 3-2 over K-State, And they've dominated the wins, Rich, 35 points per game. I like the speed perspective over Kansas State, even though K-State got that victory over Texas Tech. Wasn't easy, 44-38. I think this is tough sledding on the road in Norman later today. I would agree with you. I think Oklahoma's headed in the right direction. They have two losses. I think right now, Joe, they're the best Big 12 team. You know, we know what the identity is going to be in Norman. Uh, It's not going to be a heck of a lot of defense. We've seen that uh, over the first half of the season. But the offense is starting to percolate around Baker Mayfield. They have the combination of Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon out of the backfield. But what really has impressed me, if you go back to the beginning of the season, remember, Joe, we talked about Mark Andrews, the tight end of Oklahoma. He was the one guy that was most reliable in the passing game. But that's insufficient for a Lincoln-Riley offense now they have that number one receiver, that go-to guy in D.D. Westbrook. So you have the passing game, you have the running game. I think that's too much for Kansas State, which obviously has issues on offense. Good D, but too many issues on offense to keep up with the Sooners. 
Oklahoma dominated this matchup in Manhattan last year. If you remember, this was the game that Oklahoma got stuck on the tarmac for about eight hours, and everybody thought that was going to affect their performance in Kansas State last year. They came out of the the plane. They didn't stop. It was 55 to zip in Manhattan. Baker Mayfield blew it up on the road. But here's the thing. I, I disagree with you in terms of Oklahoma being the best team in the Big 12. I'm not sold on Oklahoma as a whole. I'm sold on them in this matchup, but here's the problem that I have at Oklahoma. Last year, they were plus nine in turnover margin. Entering this matchup, Rich, they're minus six. That secondary's given up 287 yeah. passing yards per game. Now, the reason why I like Oklahoma in this matchup over K-State is K-State's inability to stretch teams vertically. They're only averaging 155 passing yards per game. Their quarterback, Jesse Yurch, is completing 48% of his passes. So that's why I think it's a, a bad matchup on the outside. Now, if Kansas State had a stitch of a passing attack that could put pressure like a TCU vertically down on seam routes, I might change my mind. But K-State needs – we spoke about it last week, and it's not a knock. It's just if you're going to play a K-State style of team, you need to win the turnover battle. You need to rush the football, take eight, nine minutes off the clock, and you need to keep Baker Mayfield and that offense on the sidelines – Otherwise, if you fall behind, it's going to be a long day. And that's what Oklahoma did on the road last year. And this is a team now that has not played well at home. Oklahoma has not played well at home. And they're coming off a Red River rivalry game where they did not play overall, top to bottom, a complete game in my opinion because Texas did put up 40 points. Listen, this is I totally agree. This is not a complete football team. My question to you, Joe, would be where is the complete team in the Big 12? If if Oklahoma is not the premier squad, if they're not the team that looks like they could repeat as Big 12 champs, who is it? I I don't think West Virginia is a complete team. I don't think there is one sold on Baylor, not complete, uh, completely sold on Baylor. So I need to see who that team is that steps up and takes the mantle and says, Listen, we're not going to a Big 12 is not sending a team to the playoffs, but we w- we will send a team to to a major bowl game, and I'm not sure who that is right now. At, at the start of the year, I thought it would be Oklahoma State. Now they got a little thrown off their their uh, schedule a little bit by that Central Michigan loss where if you look at it they really should have won shouldn't have came down to that but then they followed that up with a road loss to Baylor where they lost that ball game by 11 points but they were still in that matchup from top to bottom I look at Oklahoma State as a team that if they get on a roll by the end of the year they can be maybe that complete team I like West Virginia. I like what West Virginia does defensively. I mean, they force teams to methodically work down the field. Last year, they only allowed 26 points per game. But you look at the teams that they played last year. They played Oklahoma tough. I know they lost by double digits in Norman, but Skylar Howard did turn the ball over. They have a rushing attack, though, Rich. They can pound the football. They're averaging 187 yards on the ground. They have the ability to take time off the clock. That's what I look at when I say, which team is that complete team. When I look at Oklahoma, they're allowing 40% to opposing offenses third down conversion rate. That's horrible. I mean, they're rushing defense much better. They're giving up 140 yards on the ground, but they're allowing 36 points per game. Well, I don't yeah, understand. This, this, I, I, I yeah, don't this understand time of year, it's so, it's so skewed, though, this time of year, Joe, as you know. I mean, Oklahoma has played Houston. Oklahoma has played Texas. West Virginia, and listen, I'll take a wait-and-see approach, but that West Virginia defense secondary has done very well, better than I expected so far. But look at the offenses, Missouri, Youngstown State, 
BYU without much of a passing tack with uh, with Taysom Hill, and then Kansas State last week. So that defense has not been challenged the way Oklahoma has. Obviously, they will today against Patrick Mahomes and Texas Tech. I don't expect them to stop Mahomes, but I am curious to see if they could slow him down a little bit and win that game in Lubbock. Uh, here's a concern for Oklahoma fans. You need to shore up that offensive line. They're five games now, 14 sacks. If you're gonna, if they're gonna get pressure on Baker Mayfield. Oklahoma will not move the football consistently. You need to protect him. They're averaging 40 points per game, rushing for 215 on the ground. They're passing for 313 yards per game. I think they attack K-State secondary. That's given up 229 passing yards to opposing offenses. But we'll see how it plays out. I think Oklahoma dominates this game, Rich. I think they win this game by about 24 points. How do you see it playing out? I have a final of 36-24, so you might be a little more bullish on the Sooners than I am. I, I think that Kansas State defense will prevent it from being an absolute slobber knocker. So I, I have them covering, but not with the same uh, intensity as you do. Oklahoma's a 13-and-a-half point favorite, so you think K-State will Oh, I had 10-and-a-half. I'm sorry. I, I, I thought it was 10-and-a-half. If it's 13-and-a-half, give me the points because I have, I have Oklahoma winning by Okay, 12. so you like K-State in this matchup to keep it close against the Sooners' 12 o'clock start. Let's turn our attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, close, close, close is relative. I mean, it's a double-digit victory. I don't think it'll be that close, but uh, almost two touchdowns with that K-State defense. I'll take the points. But we've seen it with Bill Snyder. I mean, if, if things start going their way and they can run the football, they'll be in this game. Make no mistake about it. But we'll see how it plays out in, a, in about an hour and a half. Let's look at that game in Lubbock. West Virginia mm-hmm. and Texas Tech. West Virginia, again, they're coming out of a bye week here. They've, they're undefeated. They're running the football. They're going to need to run the football against Texas Tech, even though Patrick Mahomes played last week. He still has that AC AC shoulder joint injury. We have to see how that plays out. But West Virginia on the road, the one thing that scares me about this game is Lubbock. It's a very difficult place to play. But I like West Virginia on the road here. You look at Texas Tech, they're averaging 55 points per game. West Virginia averaging 29. But you look at this West Virginia defense – they're only giving up 227 passing yards to opposing offenses, Rich. I agree with you, Joe. I think it's going to be a great game. I like West Virginia on the road. First time that they have a true road game this year. But I just hate that Texas Tech defense. They can't stop anyone. Shootout, at the end of the day, I think West Virginia survives. Gets to 5-0 and would be a huge road victory for Dana Holgerson. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. We're going to give our prediction a little bit later in the, in the show. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, former Texas wide receiver B.J. Johnson will give us his take about Charlie Strong and, more importantly, how the Longhorns fare against Iowa State later today. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, we were talking about NC State and Clemson. Rich, I look at NC State's defense as well. They're plus two in turnover margin overall. Their third down defense, only ho- they're holding opposing offenses to 28% conversion on third down. If they can force some three and outs on Deshaun Watson... They might be in this ballgame. Now, I don't think they'll pull out the outright victory here, but they play Clemson very tough. You can look back to the days of Jeff Bender, Jamie Barnett, Tremaine Stevens. I mean, the list goes on and on. Torrey Holt. 
NC State traditionally plays Clemson very tough, and this ball game in Raleigh last year, Clemson did win 56-41, to but Jacoby Brissett and that offense were knocking at the door late in that matchup to cut that lead to about eight or nine points. They couldn't convert, and Clemson closed the noose. Could be a very intriguing battle, especially if the Wolfpack jump up early. Listen, Joe, this is a huge game for Dave Doran. I've talked about it many times in, in weeks past. He's had a hard time beating quality opponents. Team's off to a good start this year. I do like the victories over Wake Forest and Notre Dame, even though weather was a factor last weekend. But even if he competes in this game, I don't expect the upset either. But if he's able to compete and show that this team can kind of hang with an elite ACC squad, that would really be a big deal for Doran. Again, he's done a nice job of amassing talent. Uh, the Matt Days, the Jalen Samuels, I've talked about the front seven, the defensive line in particular led by Bradley Chubb. If that can equate into a second half in which NC State is in this game, I think that really could propel the pack into the second half of the season in which they may be able to get over the hump and win seven or eight games. And you look at this Clemson defense. Last year they had 48 total sacks. 24 and a half of them went out the window with Dodd, Kevin Dodd, and Shaq Lawson. But this year, you look at the defensive front seven, six games, 21 total sacks. So they're just picking Mm. up right where they left off. Brett Venables, Dabo Sweeney, they just reload. And 51% completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks. That's big. Last year, in eight of their 15 games, they held opposing quarterbacks to 43% or less. So they're right on uh, stride there. I have Clemson winning about a 14-point game, Rich. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I do too. I have a 34-19, so I'm right there with you. I have it 15, and that would be a uh, that would be a cover for the pack now, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it would. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, they sh- should have momentum coming after that victory over Notre Dame, a monumental win in Raleigh last week. When we come back, we'll turn our attention to Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota, and Maryland, and Illinois and Rutgers. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, taking a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Texas. Can they get off the mat? Three straight losses. What better way to talk Longhorn football than with a former Longhorn? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Texas wide receiver B.J. Johnson. B.J., how are you this morning? What's going on, my man, Joe? How you doing today? I'm doing well. Texas and Charlie Strong, unfortunate circumstances last week. They were in the game from start to finish, but they dropped that matchup 45-40 to against the Sooners. They now turn their attention to a team that defeated them 24-20 to last year in Ames. BJ, what does this team have to do to pick up the victory later today? And more importantly, what's the mindset of this team entering this ballgame? I mean, when you just look at, you know, each game, I mean, just basically it just comes down to defense, right? I mean, we got one of the best offenses in the country that's scoring um, at a high rate. I mean, the 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 most they scored is, what, 41 points this year? So, I mean, if we could just stop somebody, um, you know, things would be a little different this year. Instead of being two and three, you could be looking at five and up. BJ, Rich Sermonello, uh, talk a little bit about Charlie Strong. What's your take? What What is the feel that you get in terms of the climate surrounding the coach down in Austin? Um, I think there's a lot of support, um, especially from, um, you know, from ex-players' perspective. Um, there's a lot of support for him. Um, you, you will have a, uh, a side where, you know, some donors and some um, 
some 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 upper elite, you know, alumni that will have some issues. You know, at, at the end of the day, college football is about pride, right? So everybody just wants their team to win. So, and in Texas, football is everything. So people go above and beyond just to win, just like they did just to get Coach Brown out. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, um, much support is out there for for Charlie. But you know, from my eyes, when I look at it, when you when you get rid of a guy because he lost eight games, and then a guy comes in and he hasn't been able to do that since he's been there, I mean, it's like, well, why did you get rid of that guy? You know, who turned the program into something that hasn't been in twenty, thirty years? So, um, you know, when you look at it, you're talking about loyalty, man. You just gotta you gotta look at um, you know, the climate of football right now, you know, because just people just want to win, so they'll do anything, they'll throw money at it, you know, to solve that problem, and that issue, you know. So, um, much support for Charlie, but you know, at the end of the day, you gotta win, man. BJ, when you you mentioned the defense, this is a defense that's given up 39 points per game. They're giving up 297 passing yards per game. You look at last year, they allowed 30 points per game, which was their highest total since two th- prior to 2008, and they're the highest passing in terms of the secondary from opposing offenses since the 2008 season when they allowed 259 passing yards to opposing offenses. Why have we seen such a shift from the offensive explosion? Because last year, they couldn't stretch teams vertically, and this year the defense hasn't picked up. Is it Charlie Strong? Is it a scheme, or is it just the conference overall that they play in? Um, it could be a little bit of both. Um, you know, there's some high-powered offenses in our conference, but um, my personal opinion, from what I've seen, um, I know they've gone into the route where they've got these, these bigger corners, and they like these bigger guys to be more physical. Um, but just from my experience, I mean, just because you got a bigger corner out there, that doesn't mean you can cover better. And, and what you're seeing on the other side of the ball is, you you know, now it's the days of these little slots. And, you know, sometimes these, these guys can't keep up with them just because they are bigger and they're not as athletic as somebody that might be a little more smaller, quicker um, in the 10, 15-yard radius. So um, you're seeing guys, you know, miss tackles, um, miss assignments, um, you know, so – at the end of the day, if the uh, if, if the corners can't get it done, like, you know, because we, we got DBU, you know, uh, over the last 10, 15 years, man. I mean, we put out all kind of corners and, and safeties, you know. So, you know, with, it, it's a tradition down there with DBU. And so what you're seeing right now is definitely not DBU. They're not playing up to it. And um, what they got to do is take that as a personal challenge, man, and get that corrected. But um, my opinion is that they got these bigger corners out here, man, that can't really – it can't cover as good as a smaller five nine five ten, and be quicker in, in that ten to fifteen yard radius where you're trying to battle and keep somebody in front of you. BJ, let's uh, let's t- take a look at something positive, which uh, you probably could appreciate at this point. Uh, Shane Bouchelle uh, has been as good as advertised. Can you give a little overview, a little breakdown as to what you've seen and what you expect in terms of uh, his future as a Longhorn? Um, I just think Shane's one of those guys that, you know, when, when he gets on the team, he kind of just guys gravitate to him. Um, and, and that's, that's the, that's the true meaning of a leader, right? You know, um, he came down and enrolled early. Um, you know, we had our football camp down there this past summer. Um, you know, you, you just saw him working out late, late nights with John Burton and other guys, you know, just trying to get better, trying to get, you know, that connection, um, with receivers. So, um, and then when you know when you're on the sideline and you see the guys, you see how people react to them. You can just tell that you know 
guys are rallying around him as a, as a young guy. So I think he's a guy that's going to be a leader for the um, for the years to come. Um, but at the same time, you know, you got Tyrone guys; they they support him too as well. So um, it's good to see how they both have um, been able to uh, intermingle with this whole situation and relationship. BJ, as a big play wide receiver in Austin, you could respect the wide receiver core of the Longhorns. You mentioned John Burt, but I want to talk about former quarterback Gerard Hurd that's made the transition to wide receiver. He has 15 receptions, 175 yards, two receiving touchdowns, broke out against Notre Dame week number one. What have you seen from his game that leads you to believe that he'll be an explosive player at the position for years to come? And what player on that wide receiver core impresses you the most? Um, well, you know, Gerard, man, he's just, he's an athlete, man. He's just one of those guys that, you know, you put him anywhere and he can, he can get the job done. Um, I, me personally, I would have liked to see him um, be more successful at the, uh, the quarterback position, but um, clearly, um, you know, that wasn't able to happen. You know, he wasn't able to get that done, but seeing him at receiver, he definitely has a lot of, uh, a lot of potential ahead of him. Um, his speed and his quickness is definitely going to get him right. So as long as he just keeps working and working and trying to get better, um, especially in the offseason, just understanding the position, understanding coverages, understanding your position and how you're trying to body somebody and get by somebody and get open and create that separation, uh, I think he has a lot of potential. The guy I like, um, I'm a big Burke fan, but the guy I like, I like little uh, Ja'Cory Ward. I mean, um, He's a little guy, you know, So, but he's a speed guy. So, um, you know, I, I can understand, you know, from his position, you know, being out there with Roy Sloan and some of these other bigger guys. So I like I like to see him and see him be a little more successful and see him, you know, see him get the ball. Um, Monty Foreman, he's, he's a pretty good receiver, too. I like him, too. So they got a lot of guys, man. I mean, when you look at their stats, I mean, they spread it around. So they don't just have one guy who dominates the ball. So they like to get the, the ball to a lot of guys. So as long as they can stay successful and stay healthy, man, I mean, you got, you got a nice receiving core here. BJ, how do you see the, how do you see this game playing out today, uh, later today in Austin? Um, I, th- I think it, um, I think it'll be a shootout again. Um, unless, you know, like we said, unless you see the, the defense step up and, and make some stops and, and, and be on top of their assignments. Um, no missed tackles. If um, the, the D line can control the line of scrimmage, um, you know I think it's, it's, it'll be one of those. You know, in my mind, it's one of those typical games where you know you're supposed to go out and you win. You're supposed to win by 20, 30 um, points. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Uh, that's the kind of mentality that they need to have. You know, the games that you need to win, you need to win and win them big. I know you're involved in an endeavor. I know you're involved with a couple of Longhorns. Tell the fans what you're doing currently. I know you're very excited about it. Yeah, man. So um, right now we just had our one-year anniversary for our our alcohol brand, MVP Vodka, um, me and Roy Williams, that we launched a year ago. So um, it's it's been blowing and going, man. We're we're, we're getting big. We're about to um, launch in Oklahoma. Also, Louisiana, we're looking at uh, Georgia and Florida as well. We're getting um, a bunch of players on, on board. We just did an event yesterday with Donald Driver. Had a bunch of Detroit Tigers, Tyler Collins, and a bunch of other guys. Um, Austin Jackson from Chicago, White Sox, hanging out with us. So a bunch of guys are getting involved with us, man, and supporting us, man. It's basically it's a, it's a, uh, it's an alcohol brand that's you know made by ex-athletes. You know, it's for athletes, man. So it's a lifestyle we're looking at getting into Vegas as well, man. So it's going good, man. So it's, 
It's MVPVodka.com. You can catch us on Instagram. All right. Twitter, Hang on, BJ. Stay with us. We'll take, a, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Back on College Football Game Day, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We'll break down some big games in the Big Ten. 12 o'clock starts, Iowa and Purdue. Rich, I'm not sold on this Iowa team. We were early, we liked them early on, but they're not running the football the way they did last year. Only 149 rushing yards on the ground. I like my Boilermakers. I'm drunk on them. They're 3-2 and two overall and move to 4-2 and two with the upset victory later today. Joe, you need your stomach pumped at this point. You're so drunk on those Boilermakers. Uh, Purdue is, dare I say, blousy, as in David Blau. Uh, Listen, I'm not buying it. A nice win last week against Illinois, but they'll have a new coach next season. I think they'll have a loss today, though I agree with you. Iowa has been a major disappointment. I I think they need to open up C.J. Beathard. He's the best player on offense. You don't have Matt Vandenberg any longer on the outside. Let's see C.J. Beathard put on an NFL audition against a very bad Purdue defense. Well, here's the thing about Iowa, and I was on them last year. How big of a loss was Tevin Smith to that offense now that Vandenberg is not there? They don't have a deep threat to stretch defenses vertically. The big loss was Austin Blythe, their center, that moved on to the NFL. The center makes all the line calls, Rich. So when you plug in a new guy, offensive line continuity, it takes a while. That You look at their offensive line now, they're opening up holes, but not consistently. And when you face big physical defensive front sevens in the big 10, you're going to need a better effort. And then the last thing is, how much of a benefit was it last year not to play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State? Are we seeing the real Iowa team come to the forefront? I, listen, I still think they're better. I think Kirk Ferentz is better than this. And yeah, I mean, listen, Austin Blythe, big loss at the pivot. I agree. But this is the kind of program that, that just regroups very quickly in the trenches. So I expected them to be more formidable on the offensive line. Hasn't happened. You mentioned not running the ball. They're not opening up the passing attack. 14-7, to ugly win last week against Minnesota. I think they need to bounce back this week. They're not winning the Big Ten West. But I do believe their potential is higher than what we've seen over the past month. Well, here's what I'll say about Purdue. The good, the bad, and the ugly. They're minus six in turnover margin. They need to fix that in this ballgame. They need to force turnovers. They're converting. 51% on third downs from an offensive perspective, but they're also allowing 50% to opposing offenses on a defensive perspective. I like Purdue. I think they strike the upset. They're averaging 275 passing yards per game. Joe Lisi drunk on Boilermakers. They move to 4-2. We'll take a quick break. We'll break other games down in the Big Ten. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from New York City, we were continuing and talking about Texas and Iowa State, live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline, his former Texas wide receiver, B.J. Johnson. B.J., you were talking about your latest endeavor with former Longhorn Roy Williams. Continue on the great product, MVP Vodka. Yeah, man, so... um it's something, man, that, you know, it just kind of fell into our lap, man, that we've been working on. Um, we've had great success in our first year, and as I was saying earlier, man, we're just looking at expanding into uh, other states right now. 
Um, I presented to MGM International about two months ago, so we're looking to hear back from them to be in some of their hotels around the country. Um, so we made history actually doing that. We were the first African-American company to actually present to them ever um, for a spirit. So, um, you know, we're just out here, man, just, you know, in, enjoying life, man, and, and making a great product that people are enjoying. And we're just trying to get a fourth of Tito's market down here, man. That's all we're trying to do. That sounds like a fantastic product. I, I'm just going to ask that you keep it away from Joe before he makes his picks <laughs> on Saturday morning, DJ. That's my only request. MVP Vodka sounds great, but I do not advise it on a Saturday morning when Joe is picking. Uh, hey, Iowa it's, State. It's great. it's great in Bloody Marys and orange juice, man. I bet, you know, that's perfect for the morning, actually. That's a good way to start the day. Exactly. Uh, Iowa State today, uh, that concerns me if I'm a Texas fan. Take me into the mindset of a Texas player post Oklahoma. I mean, is there is that you've played in four of them? Is there a letdown the week after that big game? Well, yeah, I I, I can speak from great experiences. I went zero four against Oklahoma. Okay, <laughs> so so the next week um, we, we you come out slapping people on the first play, right? Because you're just so mad. Um, so so the attitude is that you know run the table the rest of the year. Um, if if you don't have some kind of pride in you every time you walk out with that that Texas on your on your chest, then, um, you got an issue, you know. And some people, man, some people take games off and they're like, oh, it's just a game I can't get up for. But anytime you get a chance to play, you know, you only get so many games. You know, I'm, I'm talking to Tyler Collins yesterday from the um, from the uh, Detroit Tigers, and you know, when you're playing baseball, you get 180 games, right? You get 180 chances, so you get time to bounce back. But when you're playing football, you only get a few chances. To, to, to go out there and be successful, man. So you're not going to always show up. So the games that you need to show up, you need to show up and take it serious. So these, this is one of those games where you come back and, like I said, they need to win by 25, 30. They need to make a, they need to make a statement. They need to make a point, you know, to their fan base and to themselves that, hey, we're here to play the rest of this year and we're going to try to win out. BJ, love the information from a big-time player in the Big Big 12. I mean, unbelievable uh, information each and every week. I mean, just love to have you on as the Longhorns progress through the season. If they can make it to a bowl game, love to have you on the show. I hope you enjoyed it today. Definitely, man. Just let me know, man, anytime. I appreciate you, Joe. Hook them. All right, you guys have a good one, man. Hook you- you too. That's former big play wide receiver for the Texas Longhorns, B.J. Johnson. He loves Texas. I know he was at that game against Oklahoma last week. It's got to pain him to watch that performance yeah. last week, 45-40, to 40, and to see Baker Mayfield put up 670 total yards on that defense. Rich, I mean, Charlie Strong needs to fix that in order for this team to make a bowl this year. Joe, you're you're so good at X's and O's. I'll pose this question to you. I, I mean, are they robbing Peter to pay Paul with the offensive tempo? You know, is that something? I, it probably drives Charlie crazy. But when you up things up so fast, the drives are quicker. Your defenses have shorter rests. How much is that impacting the Texas D? But I've said that before. I didn't think Sterling Gilbert was the guy that Charlie Strong wanted. I think he was forced into that by the boosters and the people of Texas. Charlie Strong, if you watched him at Louisville, Rich, he won. Wants to run the football and work off a of play action. That's what he did with Michael yeah. Dyer. That's what he did with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater completed 70% of his passes in college because he ran the football off tackle and between the tackles. They don't have the same type of offensive mindset. He, he wanted to do that. 
But when he didn't have success and the team was sub 500, then the booster said, you got to get Sterling Gilbert. We need more offense to compete in the Big 12. And he was sort of handcuffed because his offense only averaged 26 points per game last year. The problem was the defense allowed 30. Now they're allowing close to 40. Yeah, it's it's the same situation as last year, just with more points. I mean, the games are more entertaining. Uh, it's good for the careers of Ashane Bouchelle and and Deontay Foreman and Chris Warren. But at the end of the day, it's it's the same results. And and this must be just maddening to Charlie Strong because this is not the type of a coach he is. You summed it up very well. Uh, I, I don't know if this picture gets any better, but I, I can see Charlie winding up someplace else in the future and then going back to the old style that worked for him at Louisville. Well, I said this, and I know it's not a good fit because of the situation. I think he would be a great fit at an LSU, and call me crazy. I know the LSU people said there's no way Charlie Strong, if he got fired at Texas, would move to LSU, but... He's a good fit there. He recruits Texas. It's perfect in Louisiana. He understands the landscape in Florida, being the defensive coordinator for the Gators. So I I could see him go into a program that preaches and predicates defense first, uh, Mm -hmm. that wants to run the football. But it's college football now. Everybody wants to score 100 points. They want to win games 100 to 95. That's why it's college basketball, because you look at some of these games, 25-point lead, Oklahoma on on the road. Next thing you know, you blink. They're up three yeah no lead no lead is safe these days uh i i think charlie i can actually see bobby petrino going to lsu and charlie strong maybe going back to louisville how about that yeah that that would be incredible i mean we'll see how it plays out we'll turn our attention to that texas texas tech and west virginia game quick and we'll pick it up on the back end i really like west virginia here because of their ability to run the football they're averaging 187 yards on the ground i really think that their defense can force patrick mahomes into mistakes we'll take a quick break when we come back We'll break down Texas Tech and West Virginia. We'll also talk about the big game in the SEC. We also have Vince Workman talking about that battle tonight, Ohio State and Wisconsin. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, we're continuing the Big Ten early games. I love Purdue. Rich likes Iowa. We'll turn our attention to Minnesota and Maryland. Mitch Leidner, quarterback for Minnesota, will not play in this game, Rich. I don't think it matters. I look for Rodney Smith in that offensive line to pound the football against Maryland's defensive front seven. Minnesota gets the upset on the road later today. I think Maryland bounced back. This is a big game for DJ Durkin. Obviously suffered a difficult loss against Penn State, 38-14. to uh, Played poorly in Happy Valley last week. I think this is a game that Maryland has to win to sort of recalibrate their season, start moving closer to bowl eligibility. I don't know a ton about Connor Rota, but I know he's not Mitch Leidner uh, behind center. So I would expect Maryland to bounce back with a victory. Here's what I think. When I look at Minnesota, the one thing that stands out for me, not only are they passing for 202 yards per game and rushing for 203 per game, but their defense against the run, very solid. They're only giving up 134 rushing yards to opposing offenses. I think they can make Maryland and Perry Hills one-dimensional. I look for the goal 
Golden Gophers to get the upset uh, in about two hours later today. Rutgers in Illinois, I mean, a pitiful performance at home in Piscataway. I mean, unreal against Jabril Peppers in Michigan. I know they're a top five team, but unreal when you don't score a point and you get blasted, especially in terms of what happened with the satellite camps in New Jersey over the summer. I still, West Lunt might not play in this game. I still don't think it matters. Illinois rolls. There's no way Rutgers is winning this ballgame today. Well, listen, Joe, they better. I mean, this is going to be their last good shot uh, to win a, a Big Ten game this year. You're at home. You're playing Illinois, which just lost to Purdue last week. Uh, obviously, you'll see a better performance from Rutgers. Folks I'm talking to in the Champaign area, not happy right now with Lovey Smith. I'm not talking about fans and boosters. I'm talking about players. The locker room has had a lot of dissension uh, over the f- uh, first half of the season. Lovey doesn't seem like he's an open-door policy kind of guy. He's coaching like he's coaching NFL players. So I'm going to say mild upset. Let's see if Rutgers can get the victory Ooh. at home against the Illini. And I will say this about Lovey Smith. I did not think it was a good fit at Champaign. I know they wanted to bring that sort of like NFL guy to bring respectability mm-hmm. to the program, but this is isn't the same type of mindset from an, an emotional factor like a Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was yeah. a rah-rah type of guy. Lovey Smith works. is not. He's more of a, a Tony Dungy type. He's more of a I, 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 he's just cerebral. More, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cerebral. He's not a yeah, rah-rah yeah. type of guy. A bad fit, I thought. We'll get back to this game. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, the show down in Camp Randall, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, 8 o'clock tonight. What better way to break this game down than with a former Buckeye? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Buckeye running back Vince Workman. Vince, how are you today? Excellent, excellent. How are you doing? Thanks for having me today. Uh, Our pleasure. 19 straight road wins for Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeyes. They're sitting at number two. What does this team have to do later tonight in a a hostile environment in Camp Randall? And more importantly, what do you think about the play of quarterback J.T. Barrett? Well, I think we have to continue doing what we're doing. We, uh, like you say, it's going to be a hostile environment. It always is when we go up to Camp Randall, which is a great place to play. And uh, they're going to be loud. They're going to be enthusiastic. And we just have to keep our composure and not let the crowd uh, take us out of the game. You know, we have to, you know, had a bad game last week as far as some uh, uh, quarterback play. And I shouldn't say bad, but there was a couple opportunities out there that JT missed. But I think it's, better to get it out the system then than to you know to get it to have it happen tonight we need everybody to on the same page we need to have players to be making plays we have the athletes but those athletes got to continue to make those big plays Vince Rich Sermonello, uh, obviously you knew full well about the turnover on the roster, all the kids that were drafted a dozen uh, back in April. Have you been surprised by how quickly this team has adapted to so many fresh faces on the two deep this year well, I knew the talent was there. I think everybody knew their talent was there, but the inexperience 
uh, you had to, you know, be concerned about. What this team did is reminded me a little bit of the 2014 uh, team, the year we won the national championship. We had a lot of turnover that year also, so you had a lot of new new faces. Uh, but I think what this team here, uh, people don't realize, a lot of these new faces are new starters, but some of these guys have had playing experience. They may not have been starters, but they did have some playing time. So we do have some experience of playing time, and uh, we just don't have the experience of starters. At the same time, you know, having JT at quarterback is uh, very helpful because he is a, a good leader. He's somebody that the, the other players look up to, and they are following his lead. And uh, we have playmakers out there. We got a lot of hungry guys. You know, I went to one of the uh, uh, dinners before the game uh, last week, and you know, just talking to some of the young guys. They know they're not. They might not play this year, but they're still hungry. They know they got to wait their turn. They just keep talking about when it's their turn, they're going to go out there and and perform. So these guys have all waited their turn, and now that they got a chance to play, they want to show that, hey, I'm, I'm just as good as the guy that was there before me. Vince, when you look at the running back position, you know, a dynamic running back in Mike Weber, he's averaging 6.8 yards per carry. He reminds me of a former number 25, one of my favorite all-time Buckeyes, Carlos Snow. What have you seen out of Mike Weber's game that uh, is impressing you and, more importantly, is adding to this Buckeyes offensive output that's putting up 323 rushing yards per game? Well, you go back to you ask the Going back to the question you asked about being surprised at how well they're doing, uh, the offensive line has gelled very well, at, you know, very quickly. Uh, they, you know, like I say, in the 2014 season, it took time for the offense to gel and get on the same page. That offensive line has done a great job, and Mike has done an excellent job of finding the holes and hitting those holes hard. And they're, they're just, you know, playing very well together. And I think that's the key, you know, because just with any team – you know, you're only going to be as good as your offensive line. Other than Barry Sanders, who didn't need an offensive line, you know, ain't many backs that are going to do well unless they, don't, unless they have a good offensive line in front of them. Vince, uh, great coaches know how to attract great personnel, whether that's other coaches, uh, obviously recruiting. Nick Saban did it with Lane Kiffin, which looked unorthodox at the time. What has the impact been of Greg Schiano in Columbus this season? I think he's done an excellent job. Uh, you know, he brings uh, NFL experience uh, to the program. And the coaching staff as a whole has done an excellent job. As you, we keep talking about the youth on this team and how quickly they've uh, had success, I think part, a lot of that has to do with the coach and how the coaching staff has, has coached these guys up. Uh, go back to, you know, an old uh, great coach at Ohio State, Woody Hayes, he always said that, you know, he's always tried to surround himself with great, great coaches. That's what made him successful. And I think that um, you look at, you know, Urban has done the same thing. He's brought great coaches in. And if you're looking at how the coaches are leaving, you know, the coaches are going on to be head coaches elsewhere. You look at Tom Herman and other places that uh, people have left under Coach uh, Meyer because they do a great job. And these guys are here. They're just as, the coaches are just as competitive as the, as the players. And it, it trickles down. It starts with, with Urban. Urban is a very competitive person, and he, you know, he gets on his coaches when they're not doing well, and it just trickles down, and everybody is trying, is successful because they compete. It's, they're competing every day. 
Vince, when you look at the Big Ten overall, I mean, three teams in the top ten, Ohio State, Michigan, and Wisconsin, can we officially say that the Big Ten is back in a big way and, and possibly challenging the SEC overall? I mean, two years ago, your Ohio State Buckeyes brought home the national championship. Do you feel like the conference is back as a whole? I think we're getting the conference is better. I think our, we're, we're top heavy. The top teams in the conference are very good teams. Uh, you still have a you know some teams there near the bottom, middle of the bottom, who had some uh, new coaches that are just you know new coaches. They're going to take a little bit of time for them to get back. But I think our top half of our conference is just as strong as as any conference in the country. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to show that this bowl season. Uh, you know, for us. You know, playing against, you know, Wisconsin, we're going to go to Michigan State. I know who's not having a great year this year, but they're still going to be competitive when we go up there. Then we got to go – then we play that team up north. So we have, we still have a few teams, two games that are going to be very competitive for us. we got to go to Penn State next week. So, we, you know, we have a, a tough road ahead. And I think playing in the Big Ten, is, as physical as the Big Ten is, it helps us when, when playoff time comes around and bowl season comes around for the whole conference. Vince, what's the bigger concern tonight? Is it the atmosphere in Madison, or is it that uh, that Justin Wilcox defense? I think the defense is going to be a concern. Um, they got a, a freshman quarterback, a young quarterback, and their running game hasn't been as good as it has been in in uh, recent years. But they still have that big offensive line. You know, they got those those road graders over there. They always have massive uh, mountain men at Wisconsin on the offensive line, and I think that our defense front seven is going to be challenged today with that for sure. And then our offensive line is going to – the offense in general is going to be challenged. We just have to put our athletes in space and let them do, the, do what they do best. Vince, when you look at the matchup, uh, week number three against Oklahoma, JT Barrett attacked that Oklahoma Sooners secondary over the top. You look at this offense going up against Wisconsin's defense, do you see the same type of game plan, or do you see a more methodical approach against this Badgers front seven? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the weather. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people didn't realize last week, you know, it was very windy down there on the field. The wind was swirling, so some of the passes, especially the deep balls, were getting caught in the wind. And so I think that's going to play a part. If the weather is uh, if it's not as windy up there at Camp Brando, I think we can attack them downfield. It's just a matter of, you know, how the weather is going to play out. You know, we're going to spread the ball around. As I say, you know, we have the athletes, and we just have to get them out in the space and, uh, you know, look for the matchups. Look up to see what, what matchups we have and where we can, uh, you know, hit them at. You know, we're going to try a little bit of everything, I'm sure. Vince, it's great information. I mean, we'd love to have you on again as the Buckeyes make a run to the national championship. We hope you enjoyed it today. Oh, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys. You got it. That was former big play running back for Ohio State, Vince Workman. Rich, some great information. He, he really thinks that uh, this is going to be a challenge for the Ohio State defensive front seven by Wisconsin's offensive line. They're pounding the rock for 161 yards per game. Yeah, he also brought up a great point, too, which I think needs to be echoed, which is this has not been a, a vintage Wisconsin ground game. I know Corey Clement has not been healthy. He struggles with health. 
But, you know, this team is not grinding out yards in that Melvin Gordon-esque way. And that's a concern for me heading into this game with regard to the Wisconsin offense. I'll piggyback that statement because they're averaging 161 yards per game. Last year, they averaged 150 yards on the ground compared to the previous two seasons. In 2014, they averaged 320. In 2013, it was 283. You look at their three losses last year. They only averaged in big games 33 rushing yards on the ground. They're going to need a better effort against a physical front seven in the Buckeyes. We'll turn our attention to this game. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Lisi and Sermonello running rogue for the next 45 minutes, Rich. We're going to get through as many games as we can. Uh, Illinois, I think they win this game by double digits. You like Rutgers in this matchup? I just want to make sure we have it right. (laughs) I'll take Rutgers. Listen, I'm not married to the pick. I just think that Rutgers sees it as their one good opportunity the rest of the way to... uh, uh, to win a Big Ten game, they were embarrassed last week, embarrassed the last two weeks, uh, losing uh, to Ohio State and Michigan. I, I think Rutgers gives their version of an A game against an Illinois team that's struggling as well. Here's an intriguing 12-30 game, Pittsburgh and Virginia. Pittsburgh got that victory against Georgia Tech. They struggled to win that ball game by three points. Virginia sitting at 2-3. and three. But I like Virginia at home. Charlottesville, a difficult place to play. I'm not sold on Nate Peterman in this offense with James Conner. I'm just not. I mean, they're averaging 37 points per game, but I just don't know if they have the physicality like they did last year. And I look at this defense. They're giving up 31 points per game. I like Bronco Mendenhall and the, the Cavs to pull off the upset at home today. I like the way your mind is thinking on this one, Joe. I, I, you know, we tend to forget about these teams that struggle early on, but Bronco has done a nice job of re, uh, regrouping with his young team. First year in Charlottesville, back-to-back wins over a good Central Michigan team, a Duke team that we saw compete against Louisville at Papa John's last night. So back-to-back wins with a shot to make it three in a row. Kurt Benkert, their quarterback, is playing well. So I'm with you on this. I think a Mild upset. I think Virginia pulls it against the Panthers. Yeah, Pittsburgh won this game last year, 26 to 19. But Bronco Mendenhall preaches physicality on the offense and defensive lines, and Virginia will get it. I guarantee you, they will get it by the end of the year. What he preaches and what he wants on terms of the offense and defensive line play. So that's what I see out of Bronco Mendenhall. I see this team starting to gel, and we both like the Cavaliers a little bit later today uh, in Charlottesville. Here's an intriguing 12 o'clock. Let me. Just just make sure it is a 12:30 game. Georgia Southern and Georgia Tech. I'm not mm-hmm. sold on G Tech. They're minus in no. turnover margin. Justin Thomas, not the same quarterback. Both of these offenses triple option. And in my opinion, I think Georgia Southern running better right now at this point in the season. They're getting ten and a half points. I think they they strike the upset over G Tech later today. And Bobby Dodd. Yeah, I don't know if I'll call the upset, but I, I love getting Georgia Southern in the points because Georgia Tech right now the horse is out of the barn. I think Paul Johnson is gone at the end of the season. The motivation is gone. Georgia Southern has a lot more to play for. The schools are only separated by 200 miles, only have played one time before. So for the Eagles, this is a huge opportunity. I think they cover with the possibility of actually pulling the upset. Yeah, we'll come back with Vanderbilt and Georgia. Stay with us. Lisi and Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening 
to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we turned our attention to West Virginia and Texas Tech. We're going to get into the big 330 games, but I just want to make sure we have our predictions. I like West Virginia in this matchup for their ability to run the football between the tackles with Russell Shell. I think Skylar Howard breaks out today, and I think West Virginia gets about a 10 to 13 point victory over the Red Raiders. I don't think it's easy because Lubbock is a very difficult place to play but I see the West Virginia defense stepping up in a big spot Rich would be very surprised if it's double digit either way Joe I, this looks to me as the kind of game that's three or four points in either direction I wouldn't be shocked by extra sessions by by the need for overtime high scoring I have West Virginia winning as well 42 to 38 would be an enormous victory for Dana Holgerson, who was actually on the hot seat at points last season, can completely move away from that by starting 5-0. and I think it's back and forth, but with Mahomes in the picture, I don't think West Virginia is ever going to get a ton of breathing room in this game. If, if you watch this game last year, West Virginia won 31-26. to They did have a touchdown within the last minute. Skylar Howard snuck it in. They didn't call it as a touchdown. It couldn't be reviewed. Otherwise, West Virginia would have won that matchup by double digits, but their ability to run between the tackles with Wendell Smallwood and Russell Shelley last year was the difference, but a much improved statistically uh, rush defense by Texas Tech. They're only giving up 175 rushing yards per game, which sounds like, wow, that's a high number. Last year, it was 275. So even though they gave up eight rushing touchdowns to Balazs and company in Arizona State at the early part of the year, statistically much better. So we'll see how it plays out a little bit later today in Lubbock. Let Let's turn our attention to the big SEC game, Alabama, Tennessee. Alabama's dominated the series since 2011, enriched 5-0 and over the Volunteers and have won those games by 23 points per game. But the last two decided by a total of 19 points. Two years ago, Bama picked up a 34-20 victory over Tennessee in Knoxville last year. Josh Dobbs and the crew had the ball with two minutes left to pull out the victory, couldn't get it done and drop that matchup. Up 19 to 14 in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I'm going to stop picking against Tennessee having the resiliency and the guts to compete against anyone because this team just has a, a special sort of a, of a makeup that, that allows them to stay in any game and come back in every game. We saw it last week against Texas A&M. But there are matchups in this game that I just don't like for the Volunteers. Their offensive line against the front seven of Alabama. Uh, their secondary against an improving offense of Alabama. And I think the tide is is just beginning to click. I, I know they've given up more points and yards than Nick Saban would like, but they're scoring a ton of touchdowns defensively. They'll get it done on special teams. And as Jalen Hurts, their true freshman quarterback, matures, Joe, I think it gets harder and harder to stop this Bama team. So I think it'll be competitive. I certainly expect to see Everything that Tennessee can possibly give to Alabama in this huge rivalry game, third Saturday in October, I just don't think they have enough to compete with the Tide right now. Here's the thing about Tennessee now. I've heard this, and I just want to reiterate. I picked Texas A&M to win the West at the start of the year. People, And I picked them last week against Tennessee. They won that game. They should have won that game by 15. But I've heard people say seven turnovers. If Tennessee didn't turn the ball over, they would have won. Turnovers are part of the game, number one, and Texas A&M's defense forced those turnovers. Mm -hmm. That aside, 
I feel like Tennessee, from an emotional factor, you expect them to be down and out. They can erase all the negativity from last week if they start fast against Alabama. It's back-to-back road games for the Crimson Tide. You do have a freshman signal caller in Jalen Hurts, even though he's been dynamic. 63% of his passes, 1,242 yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. He's also rushed for 296 yards on the ground and five rushing touchdowns. Statistically, Alabama really dominates this game on paper. Here's the thing that I look at when I look at Tennessee. They haven't played a complete game yet. If they can jump up early and put the pressure on Jalen Hurts in Neyland Stadium, in Knoxville, get that fan base involved, they can be in this matchup. From a scheme perspective, they've had the M.O. on Alabama. Call it what it is. When Josh Dobbs came in two years ago in the second half, he was able to move the football against Alabama and made that game much closer than that 34-20 to because that second half, he really outplayed Alabama's defense. Last year, they really had the game plan to knock off the Crimson Tide. They just didn't make plays down the stretch. Now they have them at home. I think they're going to be in this game from start to finish. Yeah, and listen, and to that point, Joe, uh, Jalen Hurd back into the backfield. Alvin Kamara, phenomenal last week. I, I thought he was an underrated star. We talk a lot about Travion Williams at Texas A&M, but Alvin Kamara, as good a number two back as, as, they're in, as there is in the country. Here's my other concern, though. Uh, emotionally, they'll be there uh, in Knoxville. No problems with that. But what about the depth of Tennessee? They have been banged up throughout this season. Hurd does come back, but may not be 100%. Cameron Sutton is out. Uh, Jalen Reeves-Maben has been hurt throughout the season. I worry about the depth of Tennessee heading into a game against one of the most physical teams in the country. So by the second half, is there enough gas in the tank for the Vols to continue to be competitive. Yeah, and that's going to be the matchup that plays out. And you brought up Kamara in the screen game last week. And that's the one thing that John Chavis, from a defensive perspective, he loves to blitz and play man coverage on the outside. So sometimes when you play man coverage and you like to blitz, you get burnt with the screen game and the short to intermediate passing game with a playmaker like Kamara that they got him out in space. But guess what? Bama is an attacking defense that likes to run sideline to sideline. So you can't run on pitch plays on the outside. You're going to have to utilize a guy like Kamara in the screen game so when they do bring pressure, he can beat you. The other thing is I think that Tennessee can attack Eddie Jackson in that secondary vertically down the deep middle of the field on seam routes. They, they don't have to complete them, Rich. They just have to loosen them up so that it opens up running lanes for Kamara and Hurd later in that battle. It's a fair point. I, I don't like the receiving core of, of Tennessee. I think they've been inconsistent. I like where you're going in terms of just stretching the field in order to sort of loosen things up in the intermediate routes or loosen things up in the running game for Hurd and Kamara. Uh, I, I, listen, I, I, I think Alabama for the first time this year puts a hurting on Tennessee, competitive in the first half, pulls away in the second half, too much talent. Uh, too much talent defensively. I think they'll get another defensive touchdown. Joshua Dobbs will do something inconsistent, which he's prone to. Uh, someone like Minka or uh, you know Humphrey, someone will take it back for six. So I, I think Alabama wins by two touchdowns. I'm guessing you have it going in a different direction. I think Bama wins this game, but I think it's very close. A three-point to a four-point game. I mean, I think that Tennessee's going to have to force turnovers. They're minus three in turnover margin entering this game, and they have absolutely no pass rush 
Walsh. Nine sacks through six games. That cannot get it done this week. They need to step up on the defensive front seven. The silver shocking. lining. With, with Derek Barnett is shocking. It's right? unbelievable. I mean, here's, yeah. the, here's the silver lining for me. 33% third down conversions for opposing offenses. If you could force Jalen Hurts into third down and long situations on the road, Give the ball back to Josh Dobbs. You'll have a shot, but I, I think it also starts early. You have to score first. That's the one thing Alabama does better than anybody in the country. They score first and put the pressure on your team to respond. When we come back, Rich and I will be getting more in-depth in this game. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from New York City on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Take a quick break. Back on the college football game day show here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, we're going to try and get through as many games as possible. We left off, I'm trying to think, Pittsburgh and Virginia. We got our prediction on West Virginia and Texas Tech. Let's turn our attention to some of the uh, 3.30 games here. I like Miami over North Carolina. North Carolina giving up 228 rushing yards on the ground to opposing offenses. Virginia Tech pounded them last week in Chapel Hill. I know Miami coming off the emotional loss, but they're still rushing for 198 yards on the ground. I think they wear out the Tar Heels in this matchup. I would take the points. I agree with you. I have Miami winning as well, Joe. But I, I have it thirty to twenty-eight. I, I think it's a back and forth, uh, uh, toss-up type of a game. Uh, Miami got exposed a little bit last week. Uh, was not impressed by their offensive play. Defense was fine, but I, I think the defense will struggle against Mitch Trubisky and all of those Tar Heel skill players. So I think this is a toss-up game in Miami either way. I, you know, I, I think Carolina is getting, what, a touchdown in this They're game? They're getting seven and a half, eight points in this battle. Uh, so. I would absolutely take that. To Rich me, this is, is a jumping last... on the points. Yeah, Jump, I would take those them. points. Yep, I, I'm jumping all over jumping them. All, jumping all You're sipping them. Boilermakers. You'll be sp- sipping Boilermakers after Purdue it's knocks like, off Iowa I, today. I, I'm Listen in a house of pain as I jump around <laughs> with these points. I love them so much. But I, I, I think it's I think it's last team with the ball. Those types of games, I'll always take the touchdown. Here's a game I really like. Now, I, I picked BYU over Michigan State last week. I didn't think Michigan nice. State was emotionally yeah. into that ball game, and I thought BYU could play a Michigan State type of game. Low scoring. That's exactly what they did. They trailed at halftime. All of a sudden, in the second half, Taysom Hill and, and the Cougars pulled away for a dominating 31 to 14 victory over Michigan State. Now they face Northwestern on homecoming. To me, I think Michigan State breaks out in a big way. I know they're not running the football the way they have, but their defense is still only allowing 134 rushing yards per game. They make Northwestern one-dimensional, win this game by 17 points. Yeah, I, I think at some point Michigan State has to bounce back. I thought it was last week. You were right. I was wrong. I, I think at some point they have the edge and talent. They have the motivation. They're getting pushed by Mark D'Antonio and that coaching staff. I, I think this is the week. I'm unimpressed by Northwestern this year. I agree they win. I think 17 is a little rich. Uh, but I think the Spartans finally get back uh, onto the winning path. Yeah, we're going to turn our attention to another 12 o'clock game. It's Vanderbilt in Georgia. I like Vanderbilt to keep this game close. We'll get Rich's take about this game on the back end. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network here in New York City. Take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. 
Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Live from New York City, right here on College Football Game Day, we're going to turn our attention to Alabama and Tennessee. Rich, I see this game as a three- or a four-point game. I think Josh Dobbs is the X factor, but like I mentioned before in the last segment, Alabama has the tendency, they jump up early and they assert their will. How important is it for Tennessee to have a lead at least by halftime in this matchup? Yeah, listen, they, they've proven throughout the season, Joe, that they can come back from nearly any deficit. But Alabama is a different animal. You know, that that's a team that can choke the life out of you once they have a lead. They'll start scoring defensively. They'll score on special teams and put the game out of reach. You don't want to have to be coming back, especially by double digits against that Bama defense. So, you know, obviously fast start's going to be big for Butch Jones confidence in this game is going to be big keeping the crowd in the game so i agree fast start particularly important against this opponent not sure it'll happen i think alabama's clicking on both sides of the ball jalen hurts quickly maturing as a true freshman they're finding a better rotation in the running game with joshua jacobs and damian harris so i think it's a tall task but i i've looked stupid many times this year betting against tennessee that's for sure we all have i mean it's been a very unpredictable year i mean teams haven't shown consistency we've seen it from some teams ohio state michigan washington with some of the others though top 25 teams one week they're lights out the next week they lay a dud so that's the one yeah. thing you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Can they move on and keep that intensity level each and every week? We'll see how it plays out. It is a rivalry game. I like that factor as well. That's why I think Tennessee loses a very close game and will be geared up for that battle next week in Tuscaloosa. Number six, Texas A&M and Alabama will be front and center stage for our show next week, so stay with us. Let's turn our attention to the big one tonight. 19 straight games. Games on the road by Urban Meyer and this Ohio State Buckeye team. They go to Camp Randall. Here's the thing when I look at this battle. I think it will be a close game early, but from a speed perspective, I don't think Wisconsin's faced the type of playmaker at the quarterback position like JT Barrett that's going to put pressure on the edge of their defense. Look at the teams that they faced already and won. They beat LSU. They beat Michigan State, right? Those are the type of and – and they lost to Michigan – those offenses are methodical. They love to run between the tackles. This isn't the read option that they faced. And they, in my opinion, I don't think they have the speed to run sideline to sideline to keep up with Ohio State. It might be close early, but I see the Buckeyes pulling away in the second half. I think they get about a 17 to 20 point victory in Camp Randall. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I think Ohio State wins. I think it's a more competitive game, Joe. I, I, I think Wisconsin is close early, but I think they hang in the second half. I see it twenty six to seventeen. I would take the points in Wisconsin. I, I think Ohio State will be arm's length away from the Badgers throughout the night. I agree with your assessment about speed. I'm concerned about Wisconsin's offense against the fast Ohio State defense, one of the best secondaries in the country. But there's also the factor of weather. Tonight, there could be rain. I think if you have a a, a problem with weather, that could slow down JT Barrett in Ohio State. And if that offense in any way isn't clicking the way it did last week against uh, Indiana, similar troubles, 
I think this could be a game deep into the fourth quarter. I remember the game in 2003 when I was working for ABC Sports when Craig Krenzel in Ohio State went on the road in Madison. It was the same type of atmosphere. It was a rainy, cold October day. Very close game. I think it was 17-13 to 13 in that battle. I have to double-check that matchup. But here's the concern I have about Wisconsin's defense. Statistically, they look great. They're only giving up 12 points per game, 90 rushing yards to opposing offenses, and two 200 yards per game in terms of their secondary, in terms of passing yards allowed. They don't have a turnover in terms of turnover margin. They're even in turnover margin. You look at the flip side with Ohio State, one of the best turnover margins in the country, plus eight overall. Uh, In road battles, especially top ten battles, the team that can run the football effectively and create turnovers to give their offense a shorter field usually wins the game. I mean, more times than not. Football is a very simple game. You run, you pass, you tackle, you create turnovers. As long as you do that, more times than not, you give your chance, your team a better chance to win. And that's why I like the Buckeyes. Secondly, that secondary by Ohio State, you mentioned it. They're only giving up 146 passing yards per game. You look at the flip side, Hornibrook now looks like a redshirt freshman. He has five interceptions on the year. And you saw what the Wolverine secondary was able to do, blanket those guys. I'm not so sure Wisconsin can stretch that Buckeyes defense vertically. Yeah, and furthermore, the one thing we used to be able to count on in Madison was uh, a big-time running game that can crank out 200, 250 yards per game on the ground. But, you know, Wisconsin this year, Joe, hard to fathom, averaging 3.76 yards per carry. That is very un-Badger-like territory. That's my concern as far as Wisconsin taking the next step, going from a moral victory, a close game, much like they did against Michigan, losing 14-7, to and actually winning the game tonight. I just don't think there's enough offense. But defensively, the crowd, the weather, I think all of which slows down that Ohio State offense. I really want to see T.J. Watt tonight. I think he's the kind of player off the edge for Wisconsin that can get the crowd involved in the game. He has a very contagious style of play. So T.J. Watt, no Vince Beagle tonight, but T.J. Watt, I think, will lead that front seven and really frustrate Ohio State in the early stages of the game. And you mentioned the rushing offense. I broke it down for you over the last three years, and I thought a lot of people said, well, Corey Clement was banged up. The offensive line was new and raw. Well, that was last year. This year, you would think they'd be well over into the 200s. They're passing for more yards than they normally have. This year, only 198. Last year, they were 228, which was their highest total since Russell Wilson was there in 2011. And who was the offensive coordinator then? Paul Christ. So Paul Christ, make no mistake about it, wants to pass the football. He wants more balance. The problem is you need to have better success between the tackles running the football so you could work off a of play action like he wants to do. They're not doing that, Rich. So I agree with you. That's That's why that offense is handcuffed in a way. And if they fall behind and become one-dimensional, well, then look for Ohio State's front seven to start teeing off on either Hornibrook or Bart Houston. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, then you start looking for a recipe for pick sixes. Uh, turnovers, flipping the field, and a game that moves into the territory that you expect it to be, which is an Ohio State route. Uh, I, 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 Wisconsin has to start fast. They have to establish the running game. If the game is in the hands of Alex Hornibrook tonight, big problems for the Badgers. So you think a close game, but you still have Ohio State winning. I have Ohio State pulling away. I think it could be a 10-point game going into the fourth quarter, and then a late touchdown propels the Buckeyes' 17-20-point victory. How do you see it playing out? 
Uh, I see a 26 to 17. I, I don't know if Wisconsin will ever have the feel of the upset. I think Ohio State will be in control throughout. But I think the defense of Wisconsin keeps it modestly close, 26-17 Buckeyes. I'm going to go through my selections for the 330 games. I love Florida State over Wake Forest today. I just think back-to-back games, I like the way they played on the road. They trailed 13-3 to at half and gutted that victory out 20-19. to Wake Forest allowing 249 passing yards to opposing offenses. Seminoles are passing for 262. I think they need to put back-to-back games in order. It's an eight. ACC game. I look for the Seminoles to win this game by at least 35 points. Yeah, Wake Forest has given problems to, to Florida State over the years. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I, I tend to think that the Seminoles, uh, their win last week against Miami, Joe, I think that was a turning point. I think it was a confidence builder for DeAndre Francois. It took a lot of heat. I mean, the kid really stands tall in the pocket. Dalvin Cook obviously running well. Defense played well against Miami last week, so that could be a fork-in-the-road, pivot-type game for FSU as they try to salvage the 2016 season. Here's an interesting game. I like Nebraska on the road because of their defense. They're only holding opposing offenses to 31% conversions on third down. They have the third-best third-down conversion from an offensive perspective, Rich, converting 53%. I think Nebraska rolls by 10 points in this battle in Bloomington. Yeah, that, that's my upset special today. It's not a Ooh. monumental upset, but I think the Hoosiers actually pulled the victory. At home, they've played well against better competition. They challenged Ohio State. They beat Michigan State. I think Nebraska, which is overrated as a top-10 team, right? That's not a top-10 team. I think they lose in Bloomington today. Big win for Kevin Wilson. and uh, We'll and come IU. back. We'll come back with the 330 game. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from New York City, talking week number seven, college. College football. We'll turn our attention to Notre Dame and Stanford. I like Notre Dame here strictly for the fact I think they have the better quarterback situation. I'm not sold on Stanford for what they did last week against Washington State. Both teams on the hot seat, Rich, but I could see the Fighting Irish pulling this game out by seven points. Not sold on Stanford's offensive line play either. I'm with you, Joe. I, I, I like Notre Dame today. I think they play their best game in a month. Uh, for me, the concern is is Stanford's pass defense. They've been banged up at corner. Uh, the offense has not been able to support Christian McCaffrey, who is not 100%. Don't know what we'll see out of him today. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown has been a real revelation for the Notre Dame offense. The wide receiver who has replaced Will Fuller, I think. He and Kaiser... Big game today. Notre Dame stops the bleeding with a victory. Here's an, two interesting Pac-12 games, and I love both of them. I like Utah over Oregon State. There's weather issues. Utah's got major running back concerns, injuries from top to bottom. But I still like the offensive line of Utah. Oregon State allowing 224 rushing yards per game. That's what Utah does. I think they have a physical offensive line. You look at this line. It's seven points. It opened at 13 I think Utah dominates this matchup. I love what Gary Anderson's doing, but again, this is a more physical team in the Utes. 
Yeah, it's certainly a more physical team, and Oregon State's going to need at least another year to to uh, populate that roster. Gary Anderson just doesn't have the talent right now, but his team is playing better. Ryan Nall ran very well last week. The secondary has been outstanding, led by uh, Treston Decoud. So Utah, which has problems passing, will be a one-dimensional offense uh, against Oregon State in Corvallis. So I, you know, they're gaining confidence. I think this is a competitive game. I could see why that line has come down so much. I could see a lot of money going on Oregon State, and I could also see this being a competitive game in Corvallis. Yeah, I can. I, I think a lot of people putting weight in that victory over California by the Beavers. I don't think California's a great defensive team, and I think they're evenly matched. So I think you're seeing the, the residual effects of that victory over California. I will say this about Arizona State. They're banged up. Manny Wilkins will play. This was a game last year that Arizona State won 48-23. to Their defense only allowing 89 rushing yards on the ground. Sun Devils love to pound the rock. I like Arizona State. I think this game, they're in this game from start to finish. We'll take a quick break. We'll get Rich's take about Arizona and Colorado. Colorado playing very well under Mike McIntyre. We'll take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, there's three big games that we're going to touch on. Mississippi and Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Georgia, and I still want to talk about Nebraska and Indiana before we leave last segment of the show. Here's the thing about, I know it's your upset special, Rich. Nebraska, though, defensively, the big change from last year. Last year, they gave up 294 passing yards per game. We heard it from Ralph Brown. That secondary was demoralized in terms of their schemes. This year, they're only giving up 195 passing yards to opposing offenses. You look at their third down uh, pass defense and rush defense overall, 31%. That's a phenomenal statistic. And Tommy Armstrong's not turning the ball over as like he did last year in Mike Riley's system. They were minus 12 in turnover margin last year. This year, they're plus four. So a considerable jump. That's why I like the Cornhuskers in this matchup. He doesn't have his security blanket today, Joe, the Tommy Armstrong, that is, and Jordan Westerkamp, one of the more sure-handed receivers, one of the more acrobatic receivers in the country. That's a problem. Uh, I, I think Nebraska has not been tested. I, I know Oregon, that victory was good, especially for Mike Riley, but Oregon is not Oregon this year. I, I think the Huskers have not been tested. Indiana, again, has played Better than our expectations this year. You got the combination of Richard Legau under center. You got Divine Redding in the backfield. So I think this is a nip and tuck game in Bloomington, and I, I expect to see the upset. I think Nebraska goes down as a very overrated top 10 team this year. I agree with you. I think Kevin Wilson's doing a fantastic job, and he's got big play wide receiver and Ricky Jones Jr. and Simi Cobbs was banged up for much of the year, did not play in a lot of games. He's not playing, I don't that think, hurts. today. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. So teams now are double double teaming Ricky Jones. So imagine if Simi Cobbs was in that lineup. It would be mm-hmm. a lethal offense. So I agree with you in, in that regard. Here's the thing when I look at Indiana from a defensive perspective. They only have eight sacks through five games. I look at that victory, and I picked 
them over Michigan State, but Michigan State, a different type of offense, a more methodical offense. Tommy Armstrong's a mobile quarterback. If they blitz him, he can break contain. He can beat you with his legs. He can beat you with his arm. I know Westerkamp's not there, but they still have newbie running the football. They're balanced. They're rushing for 234 on the ground and passing for 238. So I like that ability, especially on the road. And if they were minus in turnover margin, I say no way, but they're plus four, so they're creating turnovers. You need that recipe to win these games. They're only laying three points on the road, so I know Westercamp's not there, but I like what Mike Riley's doing. I just don't think Indiana's the team to knock off Nebraska. You're not concerned that Nebraska's looking ahead to the Boilermakers next week? Well, that that was a team who did Purdue beat last week uh, last year. They knocked off. They did. They they, they did. buried them yeah. last year. Yeah. Exactly. They so did. so it might be a revenge factor. <laughs> might be looking revenge. We'll see. We'll see. I think Nebraska wins a close game. I think it's a ten point game. I think it'll be a gutty game. But again, they step up. Indiana does, especially at home. Rich likes the upset in the Hoosiers. I like the Cornhuskers. Close. I think a ten point victory. If not, I think they they cover the number seven points or more over the Hoosiers in this battle. Let's turn our attention to Vanderbilt and Georgia. I'm a big Georgia fan, as you know. But again, this team does not impress me. I don't care statistically what they're doing. I think Vanderbilt has the physicality on the offensive and defensive lines to play with Georgia. I like Ralph Webb. Shermer on the road scares me. But I think they can make enough plays to keep this game close. Traditionally, the Commodores play the Bulldogs very tough. I think they can run the football on this front seven of the Bulldogs later today. Yeah, you summed it up very well, Joe. You know, Georgia is a year away under Kirby Smart. This is not the kind of team that's going to blow out a lot of opponents. They don't have the offensive firepower, the consistency with the young quarterback, Jacob Eason. Vanderbilt, we know what their identity is, too. Good defense, running the ball with Ralph Webb. Zach Cunningham, their linebacker, might be one of the four or five most underrated players in the country. So they're very scrappy. I think this is an unappealing, low-scoring game. Georgia protects at home. Keep in mind, they also have a short week, too, right? Had to play uh, Sunday, Sunday last week. So, yeah, they, they lost a day. I think this is kind of an ugly game, low scoring. Georgia wins. Vanderbilt competes and loses, which is what we tend to expect from the doors <laughs> these days. Exactly. Here's a, an intriguing battle. It's a top 25 battle, but under the radar, Ole Miss and Arkansas. For me, this game comes down to Ole, uh, Ole Miss's ability to stretch Arkansas over the top. They, to me, Arkansas cannot play man-to-man coverage with the wide receivers of Ole Miss. I think that's a problem. Texas A&M exploited them in that matchup in Arlington. I look for Chad Kelly and the Ole Miss Rebels to really make amends for last year's loss in Oxford that knocked this team out of the playoff. Two two two-loss teams, Joe, but I think this will be one of the most entertaining games of the week, and I really like, I'm looking forward to the matchup between Chad Kelly and Austin Allen, who has been a terrific quarterback for Arkansas. Both teams have a lot of weapons. Both teams have question marks on uh, on defense, I should say. I see this Ole Miss 45, Arkansas 40. Back-and-forth shootout would not be the least bit shocked if it goes into overtime. So Ole Miss is playing very well. I think they're the fly in the ointment in the SEC West. They're going to play spoiler in the second half of the season. Excellent game. Fans should watch tonight at 7 o'clock. Yeah, intriguing battle because this is a team that started slow, obviously, with the loss to Florida State and the loss to Alabama, but they had huge leads on both of those teams. This is a team that can make some noise. If we're talking about a two-loss team in the playoff, it could be the Ole Miss Rebels. They still have to play 
LSU, they still have to play uh, Texas A&M as well. So depending on how that matchup plays in Tuscaloosa next week, could be pivotal battles in the SEC West. Stay with Rich and I each Saturday because we talk about college football with the best of them. Our knowledge, in our opinion, second to none. Tweet us at Go for the Two at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. We're here each and every Saturday right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern Time. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Stay with us all season long. College football is the best. We just love talking about it. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, we're going to try and just rapid fire here, get through as many games as possible. We were talking Arizona State, Colorado. This is an intriguing battle for the Pac-12. I like Arizona State's rush defense. Manny Wilkins banged up. I don't care. I think they can run the football on the Buffaloes. They won this game 48-23 to last year. No chance it happens. Colorado wins the game. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a little high of a spread. I have a 38 Colorado, 26 Arizona State. Wow. Right. So you still, it's down to 11 and a half now. You have the Buffaloes eking out a cover. This dog on lines changing during the week. I saw 13 and a half at the beginning that's of where, the week. That's where it opened. You got to be on live with Vegas right now. Here's I a, think my, my opinion is the difference maker. I'm that's actually it. Shifting You're knocking lines. the line down. All right, here's an go. intriguing battle. Boys, Boise State and Colorado State. Boise State, I think, dominates this matchup. It's four yeah. touchdowns against Mike Bobo and the Rams, but I think Boise State breaks out and covers this number later today. Uh, yeah, I think they feel it right now. I think they realize that they're the group of five front runner. Now that Houston has lost, I think you're going to see the best of Boise State the rest of the way. I'm taking Kansas over Baylor. They covered the 35 against TCU uh, and played very well. I know it was the emotional letdown after Oklahoma, but I think they could play with Baylor enough to cover this 33 and a half 34 today. I, I agree. I have, I have the same exact thing. Kansas is gradually bl- uh, playing better under David Beatty. You won't necessarily see it in the wins and the losses, but a more competitive team, I could see them covering that big number as well. Here's uh, an intriguing SEC battle. Missouri on the road against Florida. They're 2-2 two and two over the last four years. I just like Florida at home. I think they dominate this game. I think their defense much better, and they they do have 50% third down conversions. Luke Del Rio expected to make this start. Big help for the Florida offense. I think they need Del Rio back there. Drew Locke, the Missouri young quarterback versus the Florida defense, I think is a mismatch. So I say go Gators as well. I'm taking Southern Miss to cover the number against LSU. You? I would take LSU well-rested after all the uh, the chaos with the LSU-Florida uh, uh, game that was canceled. All right, and I'm taking Iowa State over Texas. How do you see it playing out? Totally agree. Totally agree. Iowa State playing much better, much like I said about Kansas. They competed against Oklahoma State, competed against Baylor. They don't get over the hump. They will cover that number today. They might even get the upset today. Don't be shocked Wouldn't because shock they me. won that yeah. game 24 to zip last year. Gerard Hurd in that offense only passed for 45 yards in that game. We're just getting started. Stay with us for week number eight for Rich Sermonello. This is Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend. Stay with us each and every Saturday, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.